Welcome, friends, to another episode of Opinionation. I'm here with my new friend, Bethany Jansen, and we would like to talk about the pro-life movement, the abortion industry, the biblical ideas behind why life is so crucial to protecting, and I'm going to have a few pointed questions, but sort of an open format here. Also, this is uh, we're new to the video side of the podcast, so this will hopefully be going out on video. Also on the Spotify platform, Spotify platform, platform, as well as others that are starting to open up with video. But Bethany, I just wanted to thank you for being here. And it, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about this because so many people suffer in silence, I think. And we were just talking about that before we started. So I I did send you some questions and I would like to talk about those. But where would you like to start? Like, tell me, the, let's tell us the name of the organization that you helped found yes. and how that came to be. That was, I would love to hear about that first because I've never formed a nonprofit. So I'd love to know how much work that was and how you did it? Well, it is a lot of work. So Pro-Life Global is the name of our nonprofit. We started in October of last year. So we're still very fresh and we haven't gotten our official 501c3 yet, but donations are tax deductible. It's kind of these weird laws. That's another complicated thing about starting a nonprofit, right? But been super grateful to see God bring so many people along the journey with us to help it be able to get up and running including we have all of our legal fees that have been paid for by a separate nonprofit who has, that's one of the things that they help to do is to start up for life nonprofits. Wow. So super grateful for that. And my own journey, it's definitely been a long journey, but it's been a journey of saying yes to God. And I think it's something, I was just talking to think about this yesterday. As a kid, like I grew up reading missionary biographies and I grew up, you know, hearing about how people fought off, you know, the, the lion, right. Or they, you know, barely survived the bullets or, you know, they took the orphan kids, you know, through the mountains and they braved hunger and all this stuff, you know, and in many ways, I feel like my own story isn't a story of that, right? Like, okay, I didn't like fight off a lion or like I haven't had a bullet barely hit my head, right. Or whatever. But on the other hand, I have had enemies that I have been fighting, right? And the enemies that I've been fighting are been different. And they are enemies of fear, of, you know, anxiety, of social pressure, and popularity, and fame, and wealth. And those, I think, are enemies that are just as real, if not even more destructive, especially of our modern day culture that we have, especially in the West, right? Most of us aren't going to be in situations where we're going to be nearly killed by a wild animal, where we're going to be in a war zone, like, right. but we are in a spiritual battle every single day and we don't realize it. And I think that's why we have so many people who are falling prey to all the cultural problems that are happening today is because we don't realize the spiritual battle, right? Right. So, Yeah. I know that didn't really answer this question. No, that's okay. But... That sets up what my next question, which is how what, how did God lead you through, you know, all of the doubts and fears that, you know, we all have about starting any endeavor, especially one for the Lord. Um, when when did you when did you found the company or when did you so, found the organization? Pro Life Global is only one year old. We were okay. only founded a year Very ago. Okay. But that said, my own personal journey, I've been now working in the pro life movement full time 
for the past six years, over six years. And you even went to Austria? Yes. To work so, in the pro-life movement? Yes. Oh. So I got started, I would say, really in college. I grew up in a family that was, I would say, mostly Christian. And I knew that abortion was wrong. And But I was afraid to actually take a public stand if it could hurt me, my reputation, maybe lose an award. Like, Yeah, I was afraid, especially in high school. And so I got to community college and I wanted to make friends. And so I was like, oh, what are the clubs, right? You know? So I checked out the clubs. There was like a brown bag Bible study, right? There was, you know, I was like, all right, I'll check that out. And there was a Students for Life club. I was like, okay, I'll check that out. I'm for life, right? So I ended up going to the first event and then ended up getting in touch with the president. And she ends up asking me to be vice president after showing up to one event. <laughs> and I was like, well, I could do this. I have some prayer time. Okay, I have a little bit of leadership experience from high school. So pretty soon I start to actually take on leadership and I start to actually see this is the human rights crisis of our time and in high school I've been really into fighting human trafficking and I still believe human trafficking is one of the most horrific things that we have in the world and we have so many thousands of kids being sex trafficked in the U.S. every year hundreds of thousands it's horrible it's really horrible that said I think abortion is even more controversial of an issue than sex trafficking. What I mean by that is if you walk down the street and you ask someone, Hey, what do you feel about, how do you feel about human trafficking? Like 95% chance they're going to say, right. It's horrible. Right? right. But if you walk down the same street and you ask the same person, what do you feel about abortion? Probably 50, 50 chance that they're going to say, yeah, I, well, I think it might be okay in some circumstances, or I don't right. like it, or, right. well, I think it's person's choice, or, you know. Right. So that's why I think not only the fact that it's not popular, but also statistically we know one out of 30 people in the U.S. globally are missing from abortion, are killed every year because of abortion. Okay, wait, no, explain that to me. One out of three people in the One out US... of three, glo- no. Oh, globally, so, okay. One out of three pregnancies, okay. according to the World Health Organization, okay. are terminated before birth. Cool. Wow. Terminated by abortion. And how many are there? That's 73 million Good abortions great. every year. So in wow. the U.S., our estimates say that it's about a million a year. And the numbers, it's about... One out of four, you know, pregnancies that in ends the in abortion US. in the U.S. Yes. So globally, we have slightly higher rates even than in the U.S. Mm. And I don't, honestly, I think the reality is it's something that people in the U.S. I think are more aware about than even internationally. So as you mentioned, I did live in Europe. So after getting involved in college and get, really feeling God called me to work full time for like movement. I ended up working for Students for Life of America, and then ended up moving to Europe to help them start for like Europe, which is the first European-wide for life student organization. Wow. So students for life. It's called Pro Life Europe. Oh, I worked for Europe. Students for Life of America in the U.S., yeah, and then we started Pro Life Europe. So, and really, the reason we called it Pro Life Europe was to like rebrand what it meant to be pro life, because of the fact that if you internationally think about pro life, it had a bad reputation, a reputation of honestly old white men with graphic images. And so we wanted to say, hey, it's young, it's cool, it's hip, and it's right, and it's truthful, and it's beautiful to be standing for life. 
So we started Pro-Life Europe and through that process, the reason why even I came to Europe, that's another crazy part of my own journey. Um, but I had done a study abroad when I was in college in, in Germany. And before that, God had opened up the door through a series of miracles to go to China for three weeks. Wow. And that's where really, really saw abortion as a global problem. You know, we're just in a bus and there's a Planned Parenthood on the side of the street. Wow. And I talked to my translator, who's a young college student, and she said, yeah, I just know what abortion is because I Googled it and I saw the pictures of the blood and how horrible it is. And she said, but there's no pregnancy help here. There's no pregnancy crisis centers in China where kids can go and get, you know, counseling or diapers or maternity clothes or anything like that. Just doesn't exactly. exist. And so that was something that made me realize, okay, I want to be a part of not just ending abortion in the U.S., but really ending it globally. Then I come back to the U.S. for a couple of weeks, head off to Europe, to Germany for a study abroad, and I get involved with the Pearland Youth Organizations there because I'm like, okay, here I am, Lord, what do you want me to do? Yeah. And find out that they don't have any pro-life university clubs at their universities. And here I had been a pro-life leader in the U.S. I knew that they had over a thousand pro-life clubs across the U.S. at universities and high schools. Yeah. And all the colleges I had gone to had a pro-life club yeah. and that had been really important in being able to help women in pregnancy crisis to be able to have that support that they needed to, to have their child. And it had been important in helping women who experienced abortion be able to find healing. And it had been important in raising conversations with my peers. And I'd yeah. seen people's minds shift to be pro-life. And so I was praying, Lord, what do you want from me? And I had felt the Lord say, come back to Germany and help them start pro-life groups here. Which, again, to me, felt very impossible because I didn't speak German. And I didn't have that much experience, right? All I had been was a pro-life student leader. So I thought to myself, why me? And I really felt like in that moment, like Moses, like really Lord, like making all the excuses I possibly could. And yeah, well, of course it didn't work out for Moses. He had to go anyway. <laughs> and I really felt like the Lord said, well, maybe you have been here. Maybe the person who's come, you've seen the need. And you're the person I want to have to go. And it was interesting because one of the organizations that volunteered with they said there had been no like Americans that had come back to volunteer with them over all the years that they had existed. This large You're pregnancy health one. center, exactly, exactly. Wow. So, you know, it was really interesting how, even though in the moment I really felt so inadequate, and I really thought, why, Lord, why would you want me? Surely there's been someone else who can do this, right? Who's seen this need. But no, God wanted to use me. And I think that's something when I was in Bolivia this past summer, speaking with a group of high school students and talking with one of the young men saying, hey, we need to have help. He said, we need to have help for girls in pregnancy crisis, a place where they can come, get support, financial aid. I said, great, you see this need. What are you going to do about it? Why don't you start? Why don't you do this? And the boy's like, well, it's startled, kind of like, wait, what? Like, you're forcing me to do something about this? And his friends are like taking money out of their pockets and like literally handing it to him. Wow. And, and I think that's the reality that we have in our world is that we all see the needs and the problems. Yeah. We pray, but God wants to make us the answer to right. our prayers. And that's the amazing thing about being a part of with God is like, yeah, 
him using us to change, right. to answer them, be the answer to the problems we see in the world. Right. Yeah. Well, and what is that phrase? You know, be the change that you want to see in the world. Exactly. And uh, that there's, a, I think it's Matthew West, maybe, but that uh, where he sings about being God's hands and feet. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I forget the name of that song, but wow. So. So. What's that? What happened next? Yeah. So I had my study abroad, came back home. And I remember saying, what hey, year Lord, more or less is this? So this is 2015. Okay. Yeah. That it went to China, went to Germany and saying, Lord, okay, make my mom supportive. This is really your will. And then I come back home and I'm chatting with my mom and she's like, oh, maybe you could go back there, do some trainings for them. And I was like, oh, well, and then as soon as I told her, actually, that app was before the one that wanted me to do, yeah. she kind of backjacked. So I kind of was like, mm, okay, fine. Um, but anyway, that February, I had a chat with the I went to a mission conference. It was really just praying. Oh, wait, Lord, Lord, what do you want from me? And that's when I really felt the Lord saying, what have I called you to do? And have you done that? And I was like, how is it possible? But no, I mean, I obviously haven't helped them start pro-life university groups in Germany. And so then I set up a call with my friends from the Youth for Life there. And I mentioned the concept to them. They said, hey, we need to figure out some things on our own first. So I said, okay. So I ended up going and getting a job, which previously had been my dream job for Students for Life of America. I moved to Colorado. I grew up in Oregon, right? Moved to Colorado and worked there for two years. And then I was starting lots of pro-life clubs. What city in Colorado? Denver area. Oh, Castle great. Rock, actually. Great place, yeah. Yeah, so, and off to travel over New Mexico, Wyoming, and it was great. And then after a couple of years, I was planning on moving up in the normalization, actually potentially moving to Texas, doing something different. And I had some friends challenge me, what does the Lord want you to do? Are you sure this is what God wants you to do? And so, and through this time, I'd had my friends from Europe contacting me, asking for advice, and I would give them advice. And I would tell them how to start the groups. And they were working on it, but they never actually did. And I remember meeting with them in January of 2017, saying, or 2018, actually, at this point. And I was like, what do you, why haven't you guys done it yet? And they were like, we need someone to show us how to do it. And so that February, I was just praying. I remember one night, I couldn't hardly sleep. And I was just praying and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I kept on hearing the Lord say, what have I already called you to do? What have I told you to do? And have you done it? And I was like, but Lord, like, how is it possible? And is this really your will? Is this my imagination? You know, I think sometimes they get so easy for us to think, okay, am I just imagining what God wants me to do? Or is this actually God's will? So the morning I just... I was like, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I felt like God said, read my word. I'm like, okay, that's an easy, easy, right? <laughs> like, just read the Bible, you know? And I normally, like, read the Bible every morning. So it's yeah. really not that right. challenging thing. <laughs> so I opened up my Bible, and I'm like, happened to be in Psalm 45, okay? That was where I had been reading through the past week, you know, in the Psalms. There was the Psalm I was on. So I was like, all right, here I am. This is great. So I'm starting to read in it. And the middle of the psalm says, listen, daughter, incline your ear. Hear what I have to say. Leave your family and forsake your people. So shall the king delight in your beauty, for he is your Lord. Worship thou him. And to me in that moment, it really felt like the Lord was clearly saying, you are single. Go and leave your family, leave your people. I was, again, I was afraid of like, leaving my people, leaving the U.S., you know, right, right. leaving my family being so far away. 
and go and go and cleave into me like marriage like go and cleave and marry me and be united with me and I'm gonna like delight in your beauty and it was something that was like okay all right god I guess this is pretty clear and then I my next fleece so to speak that I put out before the Lord was like you have to open the door so I set up again a call a zoom call with my friends who had already told me they were going to start a new organization for the German-speaking countries to start for, like, university groups. Set up a call with them for a couple of days later. In the meantime, I go back and read my journal from a couple of years before. And I realized the exact same day that I read that scripture passage was the wow. same day I was at that retreat. Wow. And the exact same day I Zoomed with them two years before was the exact same day I had set up to Zoom with them again. Wow. Actually, it was Skype. We used. It wasn't even Zoom. Yeah, right, right. It there was, was Skype. no Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the pandemic, the pandemic, yeah, caused Zoom to explode. Exactly, exactly. Oh, man, so, so that's how I ended up in Europe. My friends obviously invited me to come within three weeks, and so we got work visa and I moved there. And to Germany. I moved actually to or Austria. To Austria. Okay, this the was reason Austria. I moved to Hungary Austria. Or? So Hungary is a country right now. Oh, sorry, I was sorry. Pretty uh, close. Sal- Salzburg. Or? Vienna. Vienna. Yes. Okay. I knew there yes. were only two, I lived in, two cities well, I knew of in I Austria. Lived, I lived actually in a couple of different cities, okay. but I lived in Vienna for the longest time. Right. So, yeah. And and that was something where we had a sister organization based in Austria. I got my work visa for them, but we found the new organization in Germany. Wow. And we started the university groups in Germany. So, and I was at first like in just in charge of starting like mentoring our team. And then I became in charge of starting for like groups in new countries where we didn't yet have a full time team member. So I actually got to go to Hungary a lot. We started groups there, Hungary, Finland. Hungary and Austria touch? Are they neighbors? They do. Okay. Yes. That's neighbors. why I was yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So Finland, uh, Portugal, Switzerland. Did you get to go all those countries? Yeah. Wow. Well, actually not Finland. I haven't okay. been to Finland. But, or Portugal. But like Netherlands, we started groups in Netherlands, Luxembourg. Like, yeah. So I traveled a lot across Europe and... So that was a huge blessing, right? And then people started to reach out saying from actually Africa and Asia saying, would you come here and would you help us to start for university groups and school groups and really get this Pearly student movement up and running here as well? Wow. And that was something that Pearly Europe had to make decisions, similar to Students for Life of America had to make decision. Students for Life of America said we're for America, Pearly Europe said we're for Europe. And so that was when there was a, a real wrestle in my own heart of Lord, what have you called me to do? Is it, is Europe all, you know, or is it broader than that? And eventually I came to the conclusion, God has, it's okay to be a missionary. God's called me to be a missionary. And it was shortly after that, that I felt peace about leaving for life Europe, passing on to the work to our team. And then after three years in living in Europe, I moved back to the US a year ago. And actually the crazy thing is I was also really praying to the Lord, I need a team if this is what you want. And so I already had a mission trip that we were planning to train up some pro-life student leaders in Uganda. And yeah, there was these new pro-life groups that had started by an American student coming there literally a few months before then. And so he and I then organized a team together with some American pro-life student leaders and European leaders. And it was in the back of this Jeep that I was asking other people, hey, what are you guys going to do? What do you like? What do you want to do after graduate and such? that a couple of the other leaders said, hey, let's do it. Let's start an international pro-life student organization to really train up leaders globally. So that's how Pro-Life Global got formed. And wow. yeah. And that was that when you were in Uganda? That was in Uganda. Wow. And then we had training in Kenya after Uganda training. And me and one of our founders 
got COVID. And so we were quarantining. All right, let's reserve the email. Let's reserve the web domain. Like, let's yeah. start some Zooms and figure yeah. out where we're going to be going to our first places. And yeah. so, yeah. I know a guy who wrote a book while he had COVID. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 So you just never know. Exactly. Exactly. So, so it was really, now we have Public Global up and running. We've been to, so last year I've been to Jamaica, Guatemala. Bolivia, Colombia. Well, I suppose we went to Uganda and Kenya before then. Sure, yeah. And then we've been doing a lot of mentoring of our leaders yeah. online as well. So what is the mission? And do you have a mission and a vision? Or yeah, a totally. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so tell us the difference between the mission and the vision and how those Yeah. Work. Our vision is to have a world without abortion. So we really believe that every single person's life is valuable. I'm going to get into that in a second, right? Talking about scripture and why that's the case. And, oh yeah, we want to see a world without abortion. The 73 million, we want to raise up an army of 73 million lifesavers to rescue the 73 million who are dying every wow, year. Wow, great job. So how do we do that? That's what I guess the mission is, right? The mission is that we equip and empower leaders internationally to be able to start and lead these local pro-life groups in their communities. We're especially focusing on schools and universities as we see this as a battleground for the hearts and minds. And it's also, that's the age when kids are getting abortions, right? And when they're being convinced of being pro-choice. What, what age bracket is, sees the highest rate of the women getting abortions? Great question. It really depends upon the country. Wow. So in the U.S., It's now becoming more of like even the young professionals, say the 25-year-old, 26-year-old. In Luxembourg, actually, where it's very high like income, there's a lot of singles that come there, you know, working jobs, that kind of thing you can imagine. So their actually highest abortion rate was 30 to 35. Ages when you would think like someone would be ready to start having a family. But like if you look at... Uganda and Kenya, I'm guessing it's a lot lower, like probably teen pregnancies oh, or college okay. students. Wow. Um, that said, I did meet a mom in Uganda when we were there who had just had an abortion a month before, and she already had several kids that were in school. She looked like she was about 40, maybe. Yeah. So it's not – abortion is something that reaches everybody and touches everybody. Yeah. And I think even, like, I grew up as a young person not thinking I knew anyone who'd had an abortion. But as I got – older i started to realize that it had impacted people in my own family in my friends yeah so why what do you think the main reasons are and i mean i i can assume but i just want to hear what your answer is from your experience what is what are the main reasons that women do not want to talk about having had one or even being open pregnant women being open you know, to discuss it, which are two very different questions. So, yeah, sorry. they're very different questions. Yeah. So I think why people who've experienced abortion, we'll start with that one, right? Yeah. First of all, if someone has a friend that they could just talk to about stuff with, that's who they're more likely to talk to about things, right? Well, the problem is we live in such a polarized society that if your friend is pro-choice and you know that, your friend's probably just going to pat you on the back and say, hey, you did the right thing. Like, don't feel bad about it. But the reality is that the, statistically, they did an analysis of a whole bunch of statistically 
certified medical really approved you know published studies and with this there was an 80 percent increased risk if someone experienced an abortion of having depression and mental health issues there was a lot higher risk of suicide i think an over 100 percent higher chance of marijuana use drug use so the reality is it does impact women and people feel hurt inside. They feel the shame. They feel guilt. I've heard what women tell me that they felt like something died when they chose abortion. One lady said, you know, I was just three weeks along. And she said, I bled for a whole month afterwards. And she took the pill abortion. And she said, you know what? Like, people can do whatever they want to do. But if they were asked me, I would say not worth it. Because it's like a part of you that's inside of you whether you admit it or not there's a part there's like something else that's living inside of you that you are killing in the abortion so when you think okay your pro-choice friends are just going to say hey you did the right thing don't feel bad because maybe they had an abortion themselves and they don't want to admit that it right. was wrong or hurt because if you admit that it hurts and it was wrong that means you need someone to help you in that situation, right? Just like admitting you're a sinner means you need a savior. It's much easier to not admit that you've ever done anything wrong than to admit you have done something wrong and to actually be willing to accept that savior. Sure, right. So if you look at their Christian friends, though, I think a lot of people the are Christian afraid. Ones, right? If you think about someone who's, who has a Christian friend, maybe oh, they Christian know this friends. is like a okay. really like yeah. outspoken Christian person. Sometimes within the church, there's this like when abortion is talked about, it's talked about of like, which is honestly rarely talked about. Right. I was going to say, I don't even remember the last time I heard a sermon that even focused on abortion or being pro-life or why it's biblically, which, why it's anti-God. Okay, if we think about it, if one out of three women over age 45 in the U.S. have had an abortion, why aren't we talking about the things that affect people? And like, as well, pornography, right? That's something that, what, over 90%, probably 95% of men, including Christian men, have used or maybe are using at the moment why aren't we talking about that in our churches, right? right. And those are the things I think we have to talk about. Right. So anyway, though, if yeah. you imagine, like, what is your Christian friend going to say? She's probably either not going to know what to do, or you might be afraid that she's going to judge you, shame you, say, how in the world did you do that? Like, right. I could never do that. Right. And then you just feel even more horrible, right? Or maybe she's going to say, whoa, I don't know if I want to be around you. I don't know if I want to, like, so there's just such a, like, all these fears about exactly. how people are going to receive exactly. the person. Yeah. And then really what a person needs in that moment is they need love. They need someone to say, hey, I love you. I forgive you. God loves you. He forgives you. Because it's true. Like, oftentimes when we give our pro-life trainings, we talk about what does the Bible say about abortion, right? And we talk about that. And then we say, is abortion forgivable? And nearly every time there's some enthusiastic young kid that raises their hand that says, no, it is not. And that's when we go over Isaiah. And I'll just read this right now. Yeah, Isaiah please. 53. I was going to say, I would love for you to share some of the scriptures. 
And and by the way, if you're listening and you're, you're new to the podcast, then you know that the idea here is to create a forum where we talk about how people got to where they are in life, why they believe what they believe, and how these how ideas and opinions are structured and formed. So in uh, I, I would I would also like to hear like what some of the opposing viewpoints yeah, are absolutely. and how people get to that point of why they think what they think in your opinion having been so immersed in you know this I don't know if the word is industry or the you know the whole movement and it's a huge debate and has been for for decades and then you know maybe we can even touch on your uh, views of you know what just happened with Roe v Wade yeah. and, you know what they, a lot of people know what Roe v Wade is but they don't know the people involved and uh, what, you know, what went into that case and um, why it was overturned, how it was overturned and if it'll stay overturned. So there's some other things that I want to ask. Anyway, great. Back, back to Sweet. You. All right. So I guess I'll dive right into Isaiah 53, but then maybe we'll backtrack a little bit and just talk about like God's design for creation, right. And his love for us, yeah. the reality of sins and scriptures that back that up. And then, you know, that forgiveness, right? And then if we have been forgiven oh, by God. Oh, and you have Psalm 139 there. I was exactly, yeah. yes. If we have been forgiven by God, then he calls us then right. to go out to rescue the perishing. And so really I think the pro-life message is an amazing way to show the gospel because it is the story of the gospel. Right. So let's go to Isaiah 53. Verse 4 says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. All of the iniquity, all of the sin, all the wrong things we've done is what Jesus died on the cross for. And he took all of our pain so that we could be healed. And it's by his death and resurrection that we have forgiveness, no matter what we've done. Yeah, it doesn't specify what sins he died for. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, in the New Testament, the sin of gossip, of lying, of drunkenness, of gluttony is listed right along with stealing and with having committed murder. And then it says, and such were some of you. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the beautiful truth of the gospel. And, and if we look at... The beauty of knowing God is that he loves us and he made us and he's good and he's holy and perfect and he wants to have a relationship with us. And even in the womb, he wants to have a relationship with us. So obviously Psalm 139 is super commonly known, right? Um, Psalm, David writes, for you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And it talks about how your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And it, when we know that even in, sometimes people will say, well, I mean, that's the early stages of pregnancy. It doesn't really look like a human right? It's just a glob of tissue. Like, is it really a baby? Is it really life? Yeah. Is it really even alive? Yes. So first of all, it's easy to answer the question of, is it life? And the reason for that is scientifically, just taking scientific. And I do want to talk about as much science as you absolutely. want to talk about. Yeah. Let's talk about science. So yeah. 
from just a scientific point of view, something is either living, like if it's within a species, say, you know, if there's mold growing on top of your yogurt, you know the mold is living, right? It's not dead mold, okay? So like a rock is not living. It's not within a species. It's not growing, right? But if something is growing within a species, so like a cat that grows bigger, we know that the cat is living, okay? And it's the same thing within the human body. We know if there's a fetus, which means a little one, it's Latin for little one. Latin. Yeah. That's a good, okay, Latin for little one. Yeah, exactly. That's so interesting. I never knew And that. zygote is Greek. And it just basically means like, again, small, little. Wow. So. Now, scientifically, a zygote is a fertilized egg. Is that right? A zygote is a new human being. I mean, I would say like a fertilized egg means yeah. there's been sperm egg fusion. It's no longer just a fertilized egg. It's ah, now a zygote. Okay. It's now a new, unique human being. Wow. And what did you say zygote is Greek for? Zygote is Greek for, I believe it's a little one. It oh, could okay. be wrong, but it's, it's something okay. that means. Similar to fetus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Something like early stages, actually, okay. of development. Very interesting. So, yeah, and these are different stages of development, just like toddler, adolescence, you know, teen and geriatric are right i know my sister she was studying nursing for a while and she had a geriatric rotation and whenever i ask people like do you know what geriatric means everyone's like oh it's older people exactly yeah. but if we but the problem is if we say well geriatric aren't living geriatrics aren't humans a lot of people would be like oh, i guess i guess they're probably right like it sounds like uh you know, the it sounds like an Nazi propaganda. No, it sounds like Nazi propaganda to me. Exactly. Jews aren't human. That's what exactly. they were telling people. Jews are vermin, you know, God forbid. But that's what they were doing. They were changing people's mindset, the vocabulary with images and sound. Exactly. And they said that a certain group of human beings were not valuable human beings or were not even human. Right. And so, and that's, yeah, that's exactly the definition. So, okay, so we say something, if it's growing within species, it's living. All right, it's not a stalactite. It's not just adding calcium. It's got to be alive if it's growing. A stalactite? Stalactite. Right, yeah, because right, that's an argument people will say. Well, they'll be like, really? well, stalactites, you know, rocks can be growing, with, you know, like stalactites, right? But they're not living. And it's like, correct, they're not living. I agree with you on that. And you're talking you know? about the rock formation. Exactly. Get bigger, caves, bigger with- yes salt or mineral you know, calcium exactly right, right, exactly okay. and it's just yeah. adding it's not growing from within right, right right so most people will admit fairly quickly okay it's living but then they will say and also if you google the scientific definition of life it has you know metabolizes food for energy it's able to reproduce all those things it meets the scientific definition of life right so we'll look at though the question of is it human because that's the next thing people say okay it's it's living but it's not yet human right so First of all, an easy question is, well, what type of fetus is it then? Oh, right, if it's not human. Is it like a cat fetus? Is it like <laughs> a monkey fetus, right? Like fetus is a term, as I said, that we can say whale fetuses, right? Right, right. So Any like, mammal, right? Yeah. Exactly, and I asked one person this and she said, well, I guess it's homo sapien. And I said, oh, yeah, I agree. Well, homo sapien, what does that mean? You know, right. that's Latin for human. All right. Uh, so okay. homo sapien. Exactly. Yes. So if something has human parents, it has to be human. Right. 
there's cats produce cats, dogs produce dogs, yeah. people produce humans. Right. It's kind of obvious. And one really cool thing that also has been observed actually in fertility clinics is that when they take a sperm and an egg and they combine them, the ones that are actually viable have a flash of light that wow. happens. Yeah, and That's you can observe amazing. it, and you can Google the flash of light at conception, and you can watch a video wow. on that. Yeah, That's, it's super cool. That's phenomenal. So that is the only time in our whole cycle of existence as an individual person uh, when we were uniquely created, and there was a, a clear starting point for us. Wow. Okay, so I can tell you why I think flash of a flash of light existing like that is phenomenal and yeah, totally. connects to the bible but no yeah. i want to know like why 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 does that spark joy for you like what does that mean to you from the bible because i don't i'm formulating I mean, this is the first time i've heard of that i maybe once before but yeah. yeah like when you first heard that like what does that mean to you what does that confirm I from thought, scripture yeah so confirming from scripture is a good point i'm curious to know what, what that confirms from scripture for you yeah because like I know that God created us uniquely, and I know that energy, it means energy is being released, right? right? Yeah, scientifically, And when yeah. Jesus yeah. spoke, right. he spoke into existence, right. right? The world, and he created us right. with, like, just his voice. Right. You know? Or at least humans he created, actually. Like, right. he formed them, right? But everything else. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't know. Like, what, what do you Well, mean, I was you know? thinking of Genesis, which we just read. I mean, the biblical cycle in, in synagogues all around the world, you know, both traditional and messianic synagogues. Uh, just started the cycle over. We're in, you know, this is, this broadcast is in October of 2022, and the biblical year just restarted Tishri 5783. So we restarted the Torah readings. So Genesis 1 through 6 was read last week, and, uh, you know, let there be light. Like God spoke light into existence. Exactly. But what day were the lights created? So let there be light was on day one. But when were the luminaries, when were the sun and the moon created? That was later. That right. was, wasn't that like three? Day four. It was four. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And we know that they were 24-hour days because the plants and vegetation were created on day three. So if the sun was not created within 24 hours, all the plants would have died because the rules of photosynthesis haven't changed. Right. You know? Yeah. So anyway, but that being said, and then I also think about... Um, Such an interesting point. Yeah. Wow. Yeshua. Huh. Yeshua or Jesus being the what of the world? The light of the world. The light of the world, yes. right. And so we have no light of our own, right? And it says in John, apart from you, apart from me, you can do nothing. Exactly. Okay, now the sun, the, the moon follows the sun, right? And the sun is a picture of the Messiah, the bride, the, the groom, and the moon follows the sun, which is a picture of the bride. Mm -hmm. Well, the moon gets it all of its light from where? Sun. Right. It's totally a dead body, just like us. Like it's a dead uh, ball of rock. So right. until that light hits it, it doesn't it doesn't have life, but it reflects life. So that's what happens when somebody gets born again yes. is their spirit is dead. They accept Yeshua as the Messiah, and then they come to life because of the light of the Messiah. Well, and like the Bible says, in Him we live and move and have our being. And we know that there's even like some kind of a proton or like element in us. The shape like a cross. Wow. That basically holds us together. Wow. So, yeah, it's so cool knowing yeah. just God's unique design and creation of yeah. every single person. That's amazing. And, and, and there's also a bone in us that they found in uh, the, the um, concentration camps. 
that is indestructible. So I believe it's mm -hmm. called, I know in Hebrew, I believe it's called the the luz, L-U-Z, the luz bone. And I think in, in English, it might be the atlas bone, but it's at the base of the skull, the top of the spine. And even though so many bodies, you know, may they rest in peace, were cremated and, and just obliterated in the ash, they found a lot of these bones because it's supposed oh. to be at the seed level. Uh, and there's more to it in, in Jewish understanding and, and Jewish thought. But yeah, there is one bone that's indestructible. So, that's probably one of the first bones is formed. I would think so. Wow, Might so be the cool. first, who knows? So cool. Yeah. yeah, it's so cool as well when you just watch videos showing how after that moment of spermic fusion, right, you go down, you plant in the womb, and you start to very rapidly grow. Within around three weeks, we know, even some estimates say even up to 16 days, actually, mm -hmm. after that spermic fusion is when the heart starts to beat. So, and we've been able to observe, you know, that heartbeat around six weeks or earlier. And for a while, Texas had the heartbeat law, right? Which said no abortions could happen after you detected a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. Is and that no longer... So actually... Is it repealed? So what they did now, because of Roe versus Wade, Roe versus Wade essentially said that abortion was going to be a state issue. That each state could decide right. whether or not, right. as opposed to making it federally legal. So because of that, it gave the freedom for Texas to actually pass what they called a trigger law, which okay. meant that abortion would not be legal in Texas. So right now... Abortion is not legal, and they gave actually 150 million to help pregnancy help centers Fantastic. where women can go to get with any counseling, with any right. food, with any clothing, with a need a place to live, right. whether they need adoption, right? Whatever that is the best option for them to be able to really help them thrive and get through this crisis situation right. and to really get out to the other end. So you said something interesting there, crisis situation. So like with an unplanned, you're talking about somebody who uh, gets pregnant, they're, they're, they can't afford it. They don't think they can afford it. They don't, maybe they're a single parent. All of a sudden the father doesn't stick around or exactly. countless circumstances that exactly. make it a crisis for them uh, because they're going to have to be responsible for this life, not only through the pregnancy, but they're not planning on adoption. So that's, right. that's why you said crisis. Yeah. Right? I would say every crisis pregnancy or every unexpected pregnancy yeah. where someone is considering abortion or not yeah. is really a crisis of faith. Oh, interesting. And it's a time where you are going to have to treat the trust in God and say, okay, I know God's going to get me through this time. Or you can give in to fear and you can say, I'm going to go and end my child's life, even though I know I shouldn't. Like, the thing is, when I talked with women who've experienced abortion, it's not that they wanted to get an abortion. It's that they felt they had no other option. Or maybe their family or friends were pressuring them. You know, 64% of people are pressured to get an abortion. Mm. But usually it's, as I said, they, they just literally think, how can I get through, whether that's college, how can I get through high school, what is my church community going to say, what are my parents going to say, what are my friends going to say, the boyfriend left, or he's going to, threatening to leave, right, if I don't get the abortion, which... Usually he leaves anyway. So, yeah, it doesn't work out. Yeah. But it's it's all of these questions of thoughts. How am I going to be able to handle my career? How will I get through med school? You know, how will I be able to provide for my child? Or whatever those are. And we know with the Lord, there's always a way. Always a way. There's always a choice. Huh? But it's always, to there's do, right? always a way to get through. 
the right. challenges. When we say yes to God, right. when we say yes to God, he always brings us through and provides and supplies for what we need. Right. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it does mean that it will be good. But if we say yes to fear, we know that that's going to bring shame and guilt and right. destruction in our life. Right. So... Tell me about, since we're talking about science, tell me about, okay, so I talked to a doctor a while back, and he said, um, if a married couple, because he's, he was a believer in Jesus, so he was, you know, uh, we were talking in the context of sex is only going to be within marriage, mm -hmm. and that a married couple can certainly use birth control, but he said, be careful, um, I tell married couples to be careful, because some birth control is abortive. Exactly. Okay, so can you tell me... Um, can we just go down the list yeah, and talk, talk about, about yeah, um, So because I thought that was very interesting and I never thought about it. I know two women who are maybe more right off the top of my head. Yeah, like three women actually who I know had taken the plan B pill. Is that mm -hmm. what it's called? Is there There's another one? Yeah. Is that? Are you 46 is another name for it. Okay. And then or morning after. Morning, right. So that's all the same yeah. drug, right? And it basically like just uh, sterilizes or what's the right word? So essentially. uterus after. Uh, so what that does is gives you a massive dose of hormones. And in this time, so let's say you have sex, right? You don't get pregnant every single day of the month. Right. A woman has, average woman has about one week where they're actually fertile, meaning where they'd actually be able to get pregnant if they had sex. All the other days, they're infertile. They're not going to get pregnant. Really? Yeah. Wow. So that's why there's actually something called fertility awareness where women can like figure out their cycle, figure out their temperature and their hormones and how those change. And they can then actually realize and say like, oh, this is the time when I'm fertile and this is the window when I'm not. And a lot of, that's actually, yeah, it's something that a lot of couples are starting to use now right. to be able to do family planning right. in a way that's actually biblical because the Bible says like, right. if you want to abstain from sex as a couple, then you should pray about it, right? right? For right. a certain time right. and then you should come back together again. Right. So it's a biblical way to be able to do family planning without without having a barrier between a husband and wife and also without potentially causing abortion. So if we talk about, so what happens in morning after pill is you have all these hormones and let's say you weren't in their fertile window. Well, you're just pumping yourself full of hormones and nothing's going to happen because you wouldn't have ever gone pregnant anyway. If you were in your fertile window and you already did have like, so, and it, they say that with the morning after pill, it might just prevent the ovulation. So if maybe you haven't ovulated yet, they might be able to stop that. Right. If you have ovulated and you do have, and then the sperm has already found the egg, you have already had sperm egg fusion, what the morning after do, pill would do is would thin your uterine lining so that it makes it so that the new zygote is not able to implant in the womb. Mm -hmm. So that is a form of an early abortion patient, right? Early abortion. Abortifacient is what we call it. Abortifacient. Means a chemical that causes an abortion. Okay. That said, something that a lot of the church is not aware about, and I know in the Christian community in general, people don't talk about this, and I think it's a big problem, is that any type of hormonal birth control, any type of hormonal birth control, whether that is an IUD, whether that's like, so that's an implant, whether that's just the oral pills you take every day, any other hormonal birth control can potentially cause an abortion. Wow. 
because if you just Google, how does this work? Right. Like one of the top things will come up is like Columbia University and they'll say, well, you know, it makes it harder for the sperm and egg to come together because it causes, you know, more thickening of the mucus, right? It makes it harder for the um, egg to come out, right? So to break through. But then if there is breakthrough ovulation, the last barrier method is by making it so that the new zygote cannot implant in the womb. Again, zygote just means little human, right? Yeah. It's a new little baby. Um, cannot implant in the womb. Wow. So the exact same thing as morning after pill. Interesting. And now there is a little bit of controversy because some people say, well, we don't statistically know, like if you are in the pill versus not, are there actually like how many abortions or how many babies are actually getting washed out or not? Like it's a little bit questionable, which I agree. It is questionable. Like you don't, when you're just one week pregnant, it's hard to know if you were actually one week pregnant or not. Right. right. And the reality is that in the 1970s, which is how they're able to say, oh, this does not prevent, pre they say it prevents pregnancy, they say it doesn't like terminate pregnancy. It's because in the 1970s, they redefined pregnancy as implementation of the womb. No longer conception, but implementation of the womb. Wow. So that was like a, a scientific shift of it was vocabulary a, manipulation. It was a vocabulary shift among the pharmaceutical community, particularly, yeah. so that they could then say that birth control just prevents pregnancy, uh, right? Remember, wow. it was in the 60s and 70s that birth control started to come out. Okay, and I was going to ask that. Like, when did the Hormonal pill come birth out? Control. Yes. Didn't the U, what is it called? The UR46? RU46. RU46. Yeah. Didn't that pill just come out in like the last 15, 20 years or less? So there's, I think you may be right about that. Yeah, because it's like, it's such a massive amount that it's actually super dangerous for women's health. Like, there's, and also taking like the birth control in general right. can be, very dangerous for not only like yeah. depression and mood swings and anxiety and like weight gain, but and also potential infertility in the future. But there have been people who have died from like taking these massive amounts of pills, especially things like IU46, wow. because it, it's such a massive amount of hormones that your body is just very, it's not normal, it's not healthy for okay. it. So now, an IUD is an IUD abortive. An IUD. Inter, inter uterine device, right? So there's two types of IUDs. Okay. So there's IUDs are hormonal, hormonal that are constantly releasing hormones, which again, it's the exact same concept. It's one of the ways of thinning the uterine lining. Okay. There's also the copper IUD. Copper, like there's metal. There's the copper one, yes. And wow. they say the copper one is changing the pH wow. of the womb. So there's actually that the copper IUD may even be more fortifacient than the hormonal one. Because the copper one changes the pH. It, what it does is it doesn't prevent sperm and egg from coming together like the hormones would. What this one does is it actually just changes the pH of the womb so the baby can no longer actually have a healthy environment to live. Wow. So all of these, and, and the reality is that so much of my generation is on Some this stuff. Even Christians, right? And married couples. And so there's just such a lack of awareness of what we're doing and not only how we're hurting our body, but also how we may be ending our own children's lives without knowing it. Mm -hmm. So what happens though, is if someone does want to get an abortion, there's then the abortion pill methods. So there's mifepristone and mefepristol. These different abortion drugs is what someone can take to actually cause an abortion. Wow. And these are being actually given various different organizations uh, that are actually making it possible for women to get them who live in Texas, for example, where they just maybe have telemedicine with someone from a different state, and then they ship them the pills. 
there's, I think laws trying to like prevent that at the moment, but there, yeah, there's definitely people working to do that illegally as well. And essentially what it does is the first pill cuts off the nutrition from going to the baby and essentially the oxygen. So it essentially causes the baby to suffocate to death. Yeah. Once the baby's died within the first two days, then she takes a second pill. And this second pill causes her essentially to go into an early labor that's for most people have described it as extremely intense pain, like that they think they're going to die. Like if anyone saw the movie Unplanned, the main character, Abby Johnson, who I've met, and she talks about her own abortion experience right, right. and how Great she movie. was. That's an incredible movie. Yeah, yeah. And how she literally passed out from the bleeding, yeah. passed out in her bathtub, like filled with blood everywhere. It was just, yeah. So there have been people who've actually survived that process. And if you take the first pill, but you don't take the second one within 24, 48 hours, and you actually take progesterone, there's something called abortion pill reversal. And doctors can actually prescribe progesterone pills or shots. And then they've actually seen about, I think about half of those babies that they've given them to the women progesterone shots within that first 24 hours that those babies actually live. Wow. And, and no birth defects? No birth defects. Wow. Exactly. So like Planned Parenthood will tell you that it's impossible to reverse your abortion, but that's not true. There actually are ways that you can save your child's life. Wow. What do you call the method that they covered in that movie where they use the vacuum suction? Yes. So that is called, there's dilation and evacuation. Evacuation. Yes. So D and E, that's what's the earlier term one. There's D and C, which is dilation curatage. Dilation evacuation essentially is where you open up the cervix, stick inside a vacuum cleaner that's about 30 times more powerful than your, your normal household vacuum cleaner. Mm. And then they just suck the little baby and the bones and legs and everything into the vacuum cleaner. And then it goes off into a place where then the doctor, the abortionist, not always done by a doctor. So the abortionist has to, or someone has to piece together the baby parts to make sure they didn't miss anything. Because otherwise if they uh, did, then the woman could die of sepsis because yeah. this is a dead part of a different human being inside of her. And I have a friend who experienced abortion who has to go back I think, every six months to have the inside of her womb actually like, um, how do I say, scraped because of tissue from her abortion. So the next type is, is dilation and curatage, which is the baby's too far along by this point. So dilation evacuation can be done. Well, first of all, the abortion pill is illegal in the U is legal in the U.S. I believe up to about nine or ten weeks of pregnancy, and then up to about twelve or so is when they do the the surgical one with the vacuum, and then dilation and curatage is done up to about fourteen weeks, maybe even sixteen weeks. Where essentially, again, they open up the cervix. By this point, the baby's pretty big, right? In 16 weeks. Now you're approaching like almost halfway. Exactly. So we know by 12 far. weeks, the baby's about the size of your palm. Mm. By 20 weeks, the baby is the size of your fingers to the end of your palm. This was an abortionist, Dr. Leventino, who did about 1,200 abortions, who told me this personally. So... If we imagine we have a pretty big baby here, we can't just suck it out in a vacuum cleaner. So that's why they open it up and then they literally will scrape. They use essentially like a spoon that the inside is like hollow and it's like a knife 
shaped and then they will just use that to, to tear the baby limb from limb apart. And then they have to repiece the baby out once they're done. So in, especially in that process, they sometimes will cause a perforation of the uterus and pull out intestines. Of that belong to the woman. Exactly. Oh, so it's gosh. it's a dangerous procedure. After after 16 weeks now, what they have to do is they actually have to essentially kill the baby in the womb. Using digoxin tends to be what they use here in the U.S. It's a heart medicine. They put a shot into the baby's heart on day one that kills the baby. The baby dies, right? Then in the meantime, they have a woman put some seaweed into her into her cervix to start opening that. Seaweed. Seaweed. Yes, because it expands. Oh. So they will give them sometimes multiple things they have to start putting in there. And then they will give birth to a dead baby. So you oh. imagine a woman goes through labor, right? With her cervix, it's been forced open. She gives birth to her dead baby. Sometimes they will tear the baby apart in the process. Sometimes they will deliver them whole. In Europe, apparently, they deliver them whole because, or especially in Austria, where it's only legal to do late-term abortions after 20 weeks if there is a child with a disability or some kind of severe situation like that. I think maybe right might also be one of them. But one of the things that they find very important in Austria to help a woman be able to grieve and process through what went on is to actually give her her dead baby for her to hold. Wow. And I know there was a friend of a friend who thought she had a baby Down syndrome, decided to get an abortion when the baby was born, which is clear that it did not have Down syndrome. And you can imagine how, what pain that woman is going through and that family. Mm. And so. And that's a whole nother biblical topic as to, you know, the, the reasons behind, a, a, I don't know, do they call that a medical abortion because of birth defects or is there another category for that? I mean, not that um, it matters. Fetal abnormality is one yeah. way. Yeah. So people can call it whatever they want. Right, I mean, right, medical yeah. potentially. Yeah. But Medical abortion oftentimes refers to the abortion pills. Oh, so, because okay. right, it's like right. medicine. Right. But it's not medicine. Not that it makes it it's anymore. Killing. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so, if we look at what the Bible says about this, right? And I don't know what's happening with your laptop, but <laughs> if we look at what the Bible says, if... so there's a Bible verse I want to read from Leviticus that talks specifically about abortion. And when we think about the horrors of abortion, it's easy for us. And like I did as a young person too, just to say like, Oh man, this is gross and horrible. And just turn our face away. The Bible talks about in Leviticus, it mentions how people were sacrificing their kids to Moloch. And it says the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, any Israelite or any foreigner residing in Israel, who sacrifices any of his children to Moloch is to be put to death. Then he says, I myself will set my face against him and will cut him off from his people, for by sacrificing his children to Moloch, he has defiled my sanctuary and profaned my holy name. If the members of the community close their eyes when that man sacrifices one of his children to Moloch, and they fail to put him to death, I myself will surely set my face against him and his family and will cut them off from their people. And that was Leviticus. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yes, that was Leviticus. That's Leviticus chapter twenty. So it's so easy for us to look away 
but this is something we can't look away from. And their child sacrifice to Moloch was essentially hoping that they would have the child be burned alive and that by that happening, they would get prosperity. They would get fertility in their crops. They would get wealth. They would have an easy cush life. And I think that's so much of the thought. We think, oh, this is going to solve my problems by ending wow. my child's life. Wow. That's an interesting parallel. Yeah. And the community is so easy to look away. Yeah. But if we look at if we have been created by God and loved by him, then no matter what we've done, even if we have given into fear and have done what was sin, just like any other type of sin, that's why Jesus died for us. And if he's died for us, then he calls us like the good Samaritan to go to rescue the perishing. We might not know what to do, but if Anything. we find someone, yeah. if we have some wine, we can pour it on their wounds. If we have oil, we can pour that on their wounds and then put them on a donkey and try to take them to the closest inn and see what can be done, right? Some kind of and action. Exactly, right? exactly. And so that's what we're doing internationally is we're training up leaders, especially leaders who are working with young people, whether that's in schools and universities and communities, pastors, to essentially create pro-life communities where advocates in their school for justice for the preborn and mercy for moms of pregnancy crisis. And then the church, we are launching these support groups, Embrace Grace, a great organization here in Texas that has- What's it called? Embrace Grace. Embrace Grace. And they have groups in churches focused on help for women in pregnancy crisis to provide that supportive system. Fantastic. There's also something called Say One and Deeper Sill, which are post-abortion healing organizations where people can walk through that process and journey to be able to find healing forgiveness. And there's something called Pure Desire. Yeah, which, I've heard of yeah, Pure Desire. Yeah, Pure Desire. I know people have gone through that and be able to find freedom from sexual brokenness. Right. And so it's like a 13 or 26-week program at yeah, local churches. Yeah, a couple different ones. Yes. Right, right yeah. Pure Desire. Yeah. Exactly. And that's something that we're hoping to take to the rest of the world. So really, there can be groups where people can find healing from sexual brokenness, healing from abortion, and help with the pregnancy crisis. And then have the groups in the communities and the culture that are advocating, educating their peers, and practically supporting people in pregnancy crisis. Because in many places in the world, there are no pregnancy help centers. So we have groups in Uganda, high school groups, 25 high school groups started about a year and a half ago. The first wow. year, 10 of them really took off and took action. And of those 10 groups, they ended up helping 36 moms choose life for their kids. Fantastic. And these are high school kids. High school kids who live in dirt floors. Wow. With That's no electricity. Amazing. Praise God. In the multiplication, if you multiply out like one life and how many the average person ends up turning into through family and multiplication, it ends up being like thousands, if not, you know, of people over generations. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that multiplication, I don't know the numbers, but it's, I've heard it and it's really amazing. Just one life can turn into generations and generations of, of families and people. And that's why we're also taking this multiplicative idea, which is really discipleship. You know, the model that Christ gave us to say, okay, how do we train up leaders in their countries and communities? Like we we're talking yesterday to a Jamaican leader. And we went back in March and did some trainings for them and spent a lot of time with their leadership team. And now they are actually creating a systematic plan to make Jamaica pro-life. They only had wow. one pregnancy center in the whole country on the opposite of the island where most people lived. Wow. And they're starting something called Friends for Life, We're essentially creating a buddy system where a girl in pregnancy crisis can be like paired with maybe an older lady from her community and they can meet up 
um, once a week and get coffee and she can provide that support and mentorship through her throughout her pregnancy and afterwards. Wow. Then Doctors for Life, a network of pro-life doctors who can provide free medical services to women in need and in pregnancy crisis. And then the Students for Life will be support raising and fundraising to be able to help the women in pregnancy crisis and to educate their peers about the support that is out there. So we're doing like bake sales, Fantastic. all of that. Wow. Okay, your website, what is it? ProLifeGlobal.org. Super okay. sensible. You can go on there, write us if you want to volunteer, if you want to get involved, if you want to donate. We need partners to make this mission possible. And it's without them that it's not possible. Fantastic. But with God, all things are possible. So Amen. that's the most amazing part. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here. We're going to cross promote this on uh, whatever website or whatever, you know, Instagram or social media that you want. Yes. And it'll also be on Footsteps of the Messiah, which is uh, our other podcast. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Bethany. And I would Absolutely. love to hear uh, update and report of great things happening in the near future. So invite you to come back on. Thanks so much. Stay in touch. God bless you, and may you be blessed and encouraged by this, and uh, we thank you for listening and your support. Uh, please send any comments, suggestions, or feedback to opinionation20 at gmail.com, and have a blessed day.